our midst. Well, John, John leads our Israel mandate ministry here, and tell us about Dan. <laughs> it is my privilege to introduce Dan to you. So he's uh, one of the apostolic followers within the Tikkun Network, um, and a very gifted theologian and scholar. He's one of the few people that sort of gets close to Mike Bickle in terms of all the Zoom dynamics and calls he's a part of all over the earth. And so that he's coming to spend some time with us really is a treat. And above all that, the issue is that he's a friend. I mean, he's my friend. He's this house's friend. He uh, loves and appreciates us. And uh, you're going to understand better why at the end of the message. But we really are thankful for yes. you being here and appreciate you. We are so you. glad that you're here. And one of the things that I've so appreciated about you, Dan, is I learn so much every time I'm around you. The few meetings that we've been in, we, a coffee, uh, even your teaching this morning from the early service, I'm taking notes. You are so filled with wisdom and understanding that is so helpful to us, and I just appreciate that. And you know what? You're really likable. <laughs> no, I, I so enjoy who you are and your personality and your sense of wit, I just so appreciate that. So anyways, I'm so glad that you're here. I wanna pray for you just 20 seconds. Lord, we thank you yes. for this father. Yes. We thank you for he and Patty. We thank you for what they're leading and pioneering, how they've stayed steady for decade after decade before you. Where they could have wavered, Lord, they did not back down. And they are continuing to believe for the promises of God. Thank you, Lord. And for a spirit of revival to come and the, for the church to be awakened and, and doing it in connection with your people and in the land of Israel. Lord, we are so grateful and honored to have him here as a father in our midst. And we honor him and we ask that you would release a spirit of revelation to us this morning. Lord, help us, touch us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. 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 Well, it's great to be with you. You know, if we're going to talk about my being a likable guy, all I can say is that I have one thing that is the most amazing miracle, and that is after almost 50 years, my wife loves me. Now, it's not a great miracle that I would love her. If you knew Patty, that's pretty, that's a no-brainer, but for her to love me, that just amazes me. Anyway. Thank you, sweetheart. We have been coming to be with you since 1990, January 1990, and uh, we did the first Israel Mandate Conference in this room 30 years ago. And it was an amazing time of signs and wonders and blessing from the Lord on that uh, conference, even signs from heaven. And we just have been so privileged to be connected to IHOP, Kansas City Fellowship, and now the Forerunner Church that comes out of those roots. And um, it's been a special partnership between Tikkun and um, IHOP from the beginning and Forerunner Church. So I'm so pleased with this opportunity. I did want to tell you that we do have a book table. A lot of the books have been sold already from the first service, but you can order them online. Uh, Patty, maybe we should keep a copy uh, uh, or something so that they can see. I don't know if we brought catalogs, but you can order everything online at tikkun.tv. And you can sign up for our newsletters. Our newsletter, we really think that signing up for a newsletter is one of the practical ways to be connected to Jewish ministry in the land of Israel and around the world. 
the newsletter, tikkun.tv. You can get it online. And our personal ministry, Patty and myself and my son and daughter-in-law, is called Restoration from Zion of Tikkun International or Tikkun Global. Restoration from Zion. So please sign up and be connected to us. Be part of our prayer support. We don't... Uh, go all out to try to get your wallet. We go all out to try to get your prayers. We leave, up, we leave the wallet up to the Holy Spirit or your purse, ladies. We leave that up to the Holy Spirit. Well, we're delighted to be ministering in Israel. I bring you greetings from our congregation, uh, Ahavat Yeshua in Jerusalem, and uh, from our network of congregations, Tikkun Israel, and the leadership team that has been together now for over 40 years that is serving over there with a lot of other younger leaders that are being raised up. So it's a thrilling time to be ministering in Israel. I, I was asked to speak today about Israel and why you should care and passion for Israel. Uh, Pastor Isaac felt that this needed to be increased uh, and needed to grow uh, more in depth in your hearts so I am bringing a message about that, which is a very important message for me. My theme is to develop a passion for Israel's salvation, that she would fulfill her role as a key instrument of world redemption. I'll say that again. Develop a passion for Israel's salvation, and that she might fulfill the key role that she has as an instrument in world redemption. I'm going to give a brief review of the uh, message I gave at the first service to put it into context and then go on from that to part two. In the first uh, service, I mentioned the fact that all of the prophets in the Hebrew Scriptures had an understanding of the very end of the last days before we would see the glorious age to come on this earth, the millennial age. And that understanding of the last days was there's going to come a big clash of darkness and light. We could say the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. It was going to be a very difficult period. But that that difficult period would be the day of the Lord where God comes in mighty judgment upon the wicked and deliverance for his people. The two come together. The day of the Lord is a foundational biblical idea, concept that you need to know where God comes in power for judgment of the wicked and deliverance of his people. You see this in Isaiah chapter 60. Darkness will cover the earth, deep darkness the people. I don't like that, the peoples. I don't like that verse. Darkness will cover the earth. Do you like that? I don't like that. But what follows is what's really great. In the midst of that darkness, the Lord will arise upon you. His light will shine upon you. And you see the great deliverance prophesied in Isaiah 60, Isaiah 27, Isaiah 25 and 26, uh, Zechariah 12 and 14 and Joel 3. It's repeated again and again. So in the first century, the Jewish people that believed the prophets, the leaders that believed the prophets, especially the Pharisees and the Essenes, believed that they were to pray, play a role in hastening the day of the Lord. They wanted to bring this about. They wanted to bring about Israel's deliverance. They wanted to bring about world redemption. But the way they latched on to bring this about was to multiply legal requirements on the people because if they became uh, 
those that not only followed the Ten Commandments and the basic moral teaching, but if they followed out these legal requirements of priestly purity and minutia, that this would make them so holy that the day of the Lord would come, the Messiah would come, they would be delivered, and the age to come would dawn. And that was the idea. And by the way, this is still the teaching of the Jewish community, Orthodox Jews. Orthodox Jews, Jews who believe in the Bible, have been teaching this now for 2,000 years. And basically, the teaching is correct, not about the legal minutia, but about the darkness and the deliverance and Israel being the light to the nations. But as I uh, mentioned this morning earlier, that the program of Jesus is a different program than legal minutiae. The program of Jesus had to do with a whole different thrust that would lead to that day of the Lord. And we are looking for that day of the Lord to come. And Jesus leads us into some really important things that, is, uh, that are filled out in the interpretation of Paul. So I'm going to talk right now about what I call the five pillars or the five tasks or the five goals that we have to fulfill to see the return of Jesus in the day of the Lord. And I'm not saying the responsibility is all on us. God will bring this about, but we have to be cooperative and participants in what God's plan is. Matthew chapter 23, uh, if, if you could turn there. Matthew chapter 23 And Matthew chapter 24, I'll start with 24. Keep both chapters open. Jesus says in regards to the end coming, he says, verse, 20, verse 14, this good news of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The program of Jesus to bring about the day of the Lord is to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to have an adequate witness of the gospel of the kingdom to every nation. And when there has been an adequate witness to every nation, then, not before, then and only then, will the end come. And the word end here would have been well understood in the Jewish community in the first century The end means the end of this age and the coming of the age to come. The end is the day of the Lord's judgment, deliverance of Israel, and the coming of the fullness of the day of the Lord. So uh, the end of this age comes after the gospel of the kingdom has been adequately preached in all the world. Uh, A brother came up to me after he said, well, you didn't mention discipleship because when Jesus said uh, uh, to do this in Matthew chapter 28, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. And that's true. But if you understand what we mean by the gospel of the kingdom, it assumes discipleship because it's the invitation of people to live in and from the kingdom of God, and you have to learn to be a good citizen. The gospel of the kingdom is a signs and wonders gospel, and it declares the good news that the kingdom of God has broken into this world, and you can live in and from it. And like I said, it's confirmed by signs and wonders. That's number one. Number two, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, Uh, Verse 39, 37 rather. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Look, your house is desolate. 
I say that you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Israel will not see Jesus until they cry out to him. And when Israel corporately, I believe through its leaders, cries out to him, that's when Jesus will be revealed from the heavens and we will see the Lord and we will all find deliverance through him. So the coming of the Lord uh, is contingent upon Israel's recognition of Jesus. This is actually taught in the Roman Catholic Catechism, paragraph 674, that all of history is awaiting for the second coming of the Lord. Are you with me here? In Romans chapter 11, these two are put together where Paul says that the key to Israel's salvation is that the world mission is going to produce a church that is zealous for the salvation of Israel. And he says, I speak to you who are Gentiles. I magnify my ministry, verse uh, 13, if I may provoke to jealousy my own flesh and save some of them. This is the growing remnant of Israel that's saved. For if their rejection has meant the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So the gospel of the kingdom must go to all nations, but it must come back upon Israel and see Israel saved. Are you with me here? So that Israel's salvation is contingent upon the witness of the whole church, but the Messianic Jewish part in the church, the saved remnant, is also a key part of that in these texts. But the third thing I mentioned, the third pillar, was that we are not going to see the completion of the work of world missions, and we're not going to see um, Israel made jealous unless we have revival in the church. That if you study Acts chapter 2 more carefully, you'll find that Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, is an installment that the actual fullness of the outpouring of the Spirit on all flesh takes place just before the day of the Lord in mighty judgment. That's what Acts 2 says, that this will come about just before that day. And that day hasn't happened yet, and this is why most revivalists have understood that at the end of this age, there's going to be a tremendous worldwide revival in Jerusalem as well, and that this is going to enable us to complete the work of world missions and to complete the work of making Israel jealous. So we're revival. The fourth is the unity of the church because Jesus prayed that they might be one, that the world might believe, and therefore we know that revival leads to unity, but unity leads to revival. They play off of one another, and if we're going to see the completion of the world uh, evangelism and we're going to see completion of making Israel jealous, we've got to have the unity of the church. Jesus said that they might be one, that the world might believe. That is, that the world will indeed be converted at the return of the Lord, that we will see after the terrible darkness of those days, we will see the redemption of the world. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, this is the fifth pillar, that the Lord has raised up apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints until we all come to unity and the full stature of the maturity of the Messiah. Therefore, having a little trouble with my voice here. Therefore, we have to believe for a leadership to arise in the church, a apostolic and prophetic leadership that motivate, teach, proclaim, exhort the church to come into revival and unity 
to complete the work of world evangelism and to complete the work of making Israel jealous. So I'll say it again. Five pillars, five tasks, five goals, gospel of the kingdom proclaimed in all the world as a witness, making Israel jealous. The key to that is revival in the church. The key to revival is the unity of the church, or revival leads to unity. And Ephesians chapter 4, that we have to see a new kind of leadership arise that bears deeply commitment to these goals, is not building their own kingdom, but is building the kingdom of God. All right, if you want to get an expansion of those points, listen to the first message. But I want to speak about how Israel will be made jealous. A lot of us get excited when we hear about the issue of Israel because we want to see the return of Yeshua, the return of Jesus, and it's an exciting eschatological or last days point of information. It's like we have an insider understanding of what's going to happen at the end. The invasion of the nations into Israel, the darkness, the terrible times that Israel will go through, but ultimately calling on the Lord. And it's very interesting and stimulating to teach these things. So our attachment to Israel is what I would call eschatological theology. Last days theology attachment. And that's good. That's a good thing to have. And I share that with you. And I hope we all share that. And that's a big deal here in the teaching of Mike Bickle and IHOP. But there are other things that we need to get on our hearts. If we are going to be effective in our prayers and witness, we cannot just leave it as a point of eschatology, but we have to develop a love for the Jewish people. The reason to develop this love, first of all, is to recognize that we have an indebtedness to the Jewish people. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 15, something that was used in the Jewish missions movement for years to kind of turn the screws on Gentiles so they would give us money. And, and, you know, I can turn the screws on you today and say, give us money. But that's not how I want to use this text today, and the Lord would probably rebuke me if I did that. But in Romans chapter 15, let me make sure I got it correctly here. Verse 17 Paul is going up to Jerusalem to give a gift. And then he says, verse 25, I am going to Jerusalem longing to bring aid to the holy ones. He's bringing aid to the Messianic Jewish community out of which they were birthed. And so this is oftentimes used to, you know, help support the Messianic Jewish remnant. He wasn't giving it to the, the Lord. He wasn't giving it to the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin. He was bringing an offering to the Messianic Jews because he wanted to keep the unity of the church and he wanted to show that this is where the origins were and the important ultimate outworking of history. And he talks about what the Macedonians did and uh, Achaia did. And then he says, they were under obligation, verse uh, 27, under obligation to them for the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual blessings. They ought, ought to serve them in material blessings. Boy, what a great verse to raise money. But I want to expand it. You see, the spiritual blessings that you have came from the Jewish people. 
Do you all understand that? No Jewish people, no Christian church. It was the Jewish people that brought the message of Jesus to the whole world at first. All of the people that wrote the Bible were Jews, including the New Testament. The people that originally took the gospel to the nations were Jews. The people that preserved the Bible that you have, even the Old Testament in the text that you have, were Jews. You pull the Jewish people out of this thing, you have nothing. Now, I'm not speaking to you as a Jew. Paul was speaking to you as a Jew. I'll speak to you from my Norwegian ancestry because it's easier. It doesn't seem self-serving. But there is an indebtedness that you have, and you have a debt to pay. In um, Romans chapter 11, Paul says, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. What he's talking about is not just Jesus being the root, but he's saying out of the root, out of Israel, out of the people, historically, that's where your support comes. And therefore, because of that, you have to care about the salvation of these people because everything you have came from them, so you pay your debt by making Israel a priority of your prayer and concern and yes, giving, I'll throw that in, but, but, but I just want to say the issue here is not an issue of fundraising, it's an issue of heart, both in terms of Jewish roots and in terms of indebtedness. And if you want to be rightly aligned with God and his blessing, you care about making that a top priority. Robert Morris, who leads the third largest church in America in Dallas, Gateway Church, friend of ours, first largest giving church in America, gives the first tithe of everything to Jewish ministry. And he says, this is why our church has been blessed, because we make the Jewish believers the saved remnant of Israel, our priority of focus. Isn't that amazing? In this huge church, I want every individual to make a priority of focus of the Jewish people, but especially the saved remnant of Israel. Now, I want to turn to another text and uh, note the wrong way to read this text and the right way to read it. Romans chapter 9 if you would turn with me. Paul says, I tell the truth in the Messiah, I do not lie, my conscience assuring me in the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, that my sorrow is great and the anguish in my heart is unending, for I would pray that myself were cursed, banished from Messiah for the sake of my people, my own flesh and blood, who are Israelites, to them belong the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the Torah, and the temple service. Paul says all these things are still part of Israel. They haven't been taken away. The gift and calling of God, he says in 1129, is irrevocable. This is still present tense realities of the gifts and callings of God to Israel. To them belong the glory, 
the covenants, the giving of the Torah, the temple service, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from them, according to the flesh, the Messiah, who is over all, God-blessed forever and ever. Now, the anguish of Paul over his people is not because he was ethnocentrically connected to his people. Sure, that's an element of it. You know, I read this verse for years when I was a young person before I got into Jewish ministry. I said, well, you know, of course. The French would feel this way about Frenchmen. The Chinese would feel this way about the Chinese. And Paul feels this way about the Jews because he's a Jew, so he's prejudiced. He cares more about his people than other people. But that's not what's going on here. You see, Paul is perceiving the drama the tragedy and the glory and how they come together. And he is so moved by the whole issue of Israel's history and perceiving Israel's prophetic future and what Israel will go through having not embraced Yeshua that he's devastated. He's brought to a point of devastation. Surely he knew the prophecy of Yeshua that they would choose the zealots instead of him and that Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Romans and there would be a great slaughter not only of men but women and children and an enslavement and that Israel would carry this election where only they could play the role of calling on Yeshua to see him return because as the representative nation among nations, as the intercessory nation, it is set in stone by God that this nation must hit that last drumbeat of the symphony. And if they don't hit it, it's all over. The whole thing fails. So as Jewish people always say, God, why did you choose us? Why not choose somebody else? and they don't understand. So we have to get a hold of Jewish history and study Jewish history and realize the terrible pain and suffering that we as a people have had to bear by both being elect and not having the protection of the new covenant. That includes the Inquisition. That includes the pogroms where Jewish business and people were killed in riots in different cities. It includes the history of anti-Semitism. You see, the devil tells the anti-Semites that the Jews are plotting to rule the world. And you know, that is true. But it's not the plot that they think it is that we have some secret organization to take over. The plot of the Jews to rule the world is the gospel. And we will rule with the church, not independently of the church. And so anti-Semitism is rooted in the devil's knowledge of the fact that there is a Jewish king and he is returning and he's going to make the capital of the world, Jerusalem, and that is going to be the land of the Jewish people from which will go forth the word of the Lord. Can you see the twist of anti-Semitism of that? And the devil's hatred of that 
has to seek to destroy the Jewish people because if he can destroy the Jewish people, the whole plan is off. So we don't, with our, with, we don't have understanding of why this is happening to us. Why the Holocaust? Because the suffering we bear as a people to be God's elect people without having embraced Yeshua is so intense. And I tell you, we live in Israel. We are a traumatized people. We've come out of the Holocaust. We've come out of the wars. You know what it's like living in Israel? It's amazing. We love Israelis. Israelis can be the warmest, most helpful people that you can imagine. But they're also on edge. So you're at an intersection. And, they, and the light is red. You can't go yet. And the light is turning red for the other lane. And they can see it. They start beeping their horn at you to go before the light is green. That's how intense it is. One time, Patty heard a crash outside our house. She came outside the house, and a car was pulling into the parking space and crashed into our car. And the lady got out of the car and looked at Patty and said, why did you park there? And Patty said, I'm within the space. I'm perfectly in the middle of the, the lines for parking. The lady said, you're right, I'm sorry. But her immediate reaction was, why did you park there? I mean, we are a traumatized people. We're in war now. We left as the missiles were flowing. We almost couldn't fly out from Tel Aviv because uh, they, they were sending missiles into central Israel. Do you know the trauma of that? God wants you to have a heart for the Jewish people and the Messianic Jews who are in the midst of the land of Israel suffering with our people in these times of war and distress and suffering with them to bring ministry to them through the gospel and the healing of post-traumatic stress. Can you feel that? But it's not only identifying with the pain of Israel and bearing that pain yourself in an intercessory way for the sake of the salvation of Israel. But it's learning to love the people. If you say you love a people, you study their culture, you have to study it with an eye on what the gospel says about that culture, rejecting what's bad, but embracing what is good and learning to love the people for the distinctive way they are as a people. Because every people on the earth has a distinctive culture a part of which, at least, is enriching to the whole fabric of humanity. When missionaries go out to Africa or Asia, they study the culture and they learn to appreciate the people. And if you really want to develop a deeper appreciation, you need to study how Jewish people celebrate the feast. You need to study what they do and their patterns of life. Some of it you won't like, but some of you say, boy, that is really wonderful. And you begin to feel the corporate personality and personalities of the Jewish people. The corporate personality is what the whole people do and are. But I say personalities because... Jewish practice is a little bit different from the Ethiopians to the Sephardic to the Ashkenazic. But you will come to appreciate this extraordinarily rich texture of culture. We have a really, really enriching culture. 
And I feel that God, by the grace that he has for us, has enabled us to preserve prayers and patterns and practices that are full of the meaning of God's love and grace, even in the midst of all the legal stuff we're supposed to do. That's his mercy to us. And you will discover so much that is in the Jewish heritage because of God's grace and mercy that is a heritage that comes from his love to our people so that we could have something wonderful and enriching in the midst of all this suffering and pain. So you begin to study Jewish life and culture. But understand this, and I'll close with this because Patty has a word to bring. The first commitment that God is calling you to is alignment and love for the saved remnant of Israel. Just as it was for Paul, he brought the offering to them. We, as Jewish believers, were rejected by the church forever because when we said we wanted to continue to identify and live as Jews, that was rejected as heretical. When I discovered in 1973 the apostolic example and teaching that Jews who come to faith in Jesus are called to identify and live as Jews. We didn't first get hailed as great discoverers of God's revelation and truth. We got slammed for Judaizing and bringing people back under the law. That was almost 50 years ago. But we stood strong on this, that we are called to continue to live out from our Jewish identity and as part of our people, not as a people who have left our people in betrayal, that when you receive the Messiah, you bring to fullness the meaning of your Jewish identity. You do not abandon it. We've, we've had to suffer a lot from the church to stand firm on this principle. But we also had to suffer a lot from the Jewish community because we stand on the basis of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and he is divinity. And nothing brings more disdain to us from the Jewish community than our stand that Jesus is divinity, that he's God. And the mainstream of the Messianic Jewish movement is absolutely committed to the divinity of Yeshua as a foundational biblical teaching. And so we have to live in rejection, a lot of rejection, and we voluntarily take upon ourselves that rejection, knowing that Jesus was rejected and this is the life we're called to live. So this is why the key thing is alignment with Messianic Jews. But also remember that the gospel is first to the Jewish people because the Jewish people lived out from God's Torah, faithfully through some times and unfaithfully at other times, yet the Jewish people, by preserving God's truth and being his elect people, have the first right of refusal of the gospel in every generation. Have you ever noticed that when Paul traveled the Mediterranean world, he always first went to the Jewish people? Have you ever noticed the implications of Romans chapter 1:16? I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first 
and also to the Greek or the Gentile. Most people say, well, that's historically the way it was because that's where it started. No, no, no. That's a principle. It's a principle of the first right of refusal so that your focus is on Jewish evangelism, not just Gentile evangelism. And do you know that most of you can learn to share the gospel with Jewish people? to declare your love and appreciation for the fact that all you have comes from them and that you have found the Messiah who is also their Messiah. You can do it. Most Jews who are brought to the Lord in the diaspora, in the United States especially, came because of the witness of Christians who loved them. So I'm going to just repeat quickly. You, you have an indebtedness. It's an alignment of God's purposes eschatologically. Yes, we said that. It's an indebtedness. It's an identification with pain. And number four, an identification of love and appreciation for the people. And number five, a commitment to see your own personal witness for the gospel before Jewish people who you will meet and know in this area. Keep those five in mind. Indebtedness. God's purpose is eschatologically, identification and pain, love, and uh, especially with the saved remnant of Israel, and last of all, the gospel to the Jew first. This will be a source of great blessing for you at IHOP. Don't forget the book table. Don't forget to sign up for the letter. And uh, it's been great to be with you. Patty, come on up. to say how happy I am to be here with all of you and so deeply moved and so appreciative of all the prayers that have gone up here for us in Israel. Not just us, but our other, our friends in Israel, other Messianic believers, Arab believers, and I know that we would not be here if it wasn't for the prayer support coming from here. And I want you to know that I'm tracking with you. I listened to Mike Bickle's teaching and other teachings, and my heart is aflame with what is being coming forth because, you know, when the Lord tunes you to the same tuning fork, you begin to resonate. And I am resonating what was coming through the teachings prophetically and through Mike and through others. I was just went to sleep last night listening to Dan, uh, Mike's teach, teaching on um, John 13 through 15 about the gold, you know, from Revelation 3. And um, so anyway, it was great to go to sleep that, but I could hardly sleep last night because my spirit was in warfare. Do you know you're... Your devices, you know, like phones and iPads and stuff. It, I don't know if you've got this on yours, where it pops up and tells you how much screen time you've used. And it said, as I was just sitting there looking there, it just pops up this message. Your screen time this week is 116% over last week. 
And the reason why is because every few minutes, I'm looking at Israel News to see what's happening. So this war is deeply affecting me. My, our, some of our family is over there, and our friends are over there, and our daughter was in the park when the siren went off and couldn't find one of her kids. And just the panic and the trauma of going through that and gathering the children, the parents gathering the children into their arms to comfort them because they were screaming in terror as they heard the Iron Dome and the bombs colliding in air over them. And one of the, the um, bombs hit in our town and the one next over, that's how close. It wasn't supposed to be near Jerusalem. But we are a traumatized people. And so I woke up this morning feeling a little bit of that trauma. And I said, God, I need a hug. I need a hug. There's something in a hug. It's like usually I go to Dan when I need that hug. Because through 50 years of marriage, the glitches have been worked out. And we're able to love each other with our whole heart. There's no mistrust, there's no veils, there's no walls. So he is able to impart his strength to me and his peace and give me comfort. So I said, Lord, where in scripture does it show that you hug? And I um, went to Psalm 139 about the spirit, you know, always being around us, you know, underneath, over us, around us. And I was reading, what, what, lo and behold, Isaiah 40. And it talks about how God carries the little ones, carries the lambs close to his chest. He holds them. And then in Psalm 46, it says, God, you are my refuge and my strength. Though the mountains fall into the sea and the seas roar, you are my refuge and strength. And the message that's been coming forth from Revelation 3 saying, Behold, I stand at that door, your door and the door of your heart and knocking. You know, today you have all these bolts and locks on the door. You want to make sure that the person you're opening the door to is somebody you trust. We are in a season where veils are being removed, walls are coming down, and God is pouring out a grace to be able to see him as he is being revealed. This is when his Yeshua is revealed, we'll become like him. And he is being revealed more and more in these last days through his spirit. And it is no coincidence that the veil, the mask mandate has come off. And come off in the spirit. Because God in these days is revealing himself as somebody who can be trusted. The lies that have been thrown at us through, through tragedy, through other things. They are coming down because God wants a people to be able to say in the last days, God all your ways are just and true. 
There is no wickedness in you. I can trust you. I can come into you as a refuge and find that strength in time of need because I trust you. There is no evil inclination of your heart. All your ways are right. You are for me and not against me. You are for me, not against me. I can come fully into your presence to receive that comfort. I can open that door. See, intimacy comes more and more um, into a place of trusting, trusting God with our whole heart and loving him and, and having that place of intimacy. And it's so much so he says, I will come in and eat with you. And this is the intimacy you talked about, I think, in the book of John. It says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of you. And he's saying this because he wants greater intimacy. He loves us so much. He wants us on the inside of him. And we on the um, inside of him and him on the inside of us. And when that happens, some changes. Um, we are in the days where we've been through some real trials and we, we, we can hear the cries. It says, Lord, I had hoped. I had hoped. You know, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus said, talking to Yeshua, and they didn't see him. They were blinded. And they said, we had hoped that the Messiah would, would bring salvation, would bring a, you know, a, a deliverance. And it was when Yeshua sat down and broke bread that they recognized him. And so, turning to um, Isaiah 61, which is quoted in Luke um, 4.18. And this part I just really want to hone on. It, it, it ties in with what Dan said about identification with the pain of his people. You know, Isaiah 40 says, comfort, comfort, comfort you, my people. And we as a people need to understand how to comfort with God's comfort. It's not the time of Job's friends who tries to figure out, try to figure out why did this happen to you, Job? Is God evil? Is God good? Did you do something bad? You know, we lost a son in a house fire, I don't know, 25, some long time ago. And um, people tried to bring comfort by giving us the reason why he died. No, that's not comfort. God came to Job and gave him such a revelation of who he is that it brought Job to nothing. And he put his hands over his mouth and said, I can, can't say anything else. He said, before I heard of you, but now I see you. And the Lord is removing veils so that we can see him for who he is. But he also removing veils so that we can see who each of us is in the Lord. We are new creations. No, we are no longer to be defined according to our ethnicity, our skin color, or anything. We are the children of God. We are brothers and sisters. It says in Corinthians, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, some of you are sick or ill or whatever, because you're not discerning the body. 
all our outward effects of skin color and, and facial characteristics and body shapes. It's just clothing. We are the children of God. And do you know that the Spirit of God dwells within you? And you are to be um, like his, well, be better than his disciples because when Yeshua needed them, he said, even Yeshua, who is divinity, said, stay with me because my soul is overwhelmed. And so you are called to know how to comfort, to be that because just like in Gotham Dan, supernatural life and strength comes. So God, you know, wants us, you know, this is the message of um, intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. We are to purposely have fellowship with one another, get to know each other, be with each other, because God is building these relationships of trust so that we can comfort. And Dan said, is identify with the pain of Israel and be able to comfort those who mourn. It says in Isaiah that this is the year of God's favor. This is the change where they no longer call um, um, each other servants, but friend, Yeshua, a friend, Yeshua, the bridegroom, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and to comfort all who mourn. So I pray that as you get it right this way, as you open your heart this way, that this way will all the barriers and mistrust and unforgiveness will fall because this is the day where we are to, to supply that which is lacking through this fellowship of the saints. God's arm of love and hugs comes through one another to comfort. Well, let's stand up and pray. And then uh, your leadership here can give you directions after that. But I want you to pray. You know, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul and what I said about his great anguish. It wasn't ethnocentric attachment in the wrong way. It was that he had an identification of the suffering that Israel would go through because they didn't embrace Messiah. And I think that that can be given to all of you. A piece of Paul's heart can be given to all of you so that you begin to cry out with greater depth and meaning for the salvation of his ancient people and for the prosperity and success of the saved remnant in Israel. So let's just pray. Father, bring us a spirit, a tender heart to identify with your ancient people from whom we have all received the riches of the Bible, the gospel. Bring us, Holy Spirit, compassion and passion for your purposes with your ancient people. Lord, the day is drawing near. And this terrible war is a harbinger of deeper and more painful times to come. Deliver us, O oh Lord, from this war that we're in now. But even more so, deliver us from our sins and to see the one 
who died for us and rose again. We lift our hearts up to you. Come, Holy Spirit, and touch us. In Jesus' name, amen. to wait upon the Lord as a spiritual family. If you need to go get your children from the children's ministry, you can. I want to highlight that uh, the Juster's product table is over in the Welcome Center just over here. Just uh, stop by and look at some of those things. Uh, Dan's written many books, and there are other materials there, and then also to sign up for their newsletter through Tikkun. Uh, the information is over there at their product table, but anyone that wants to, we're just going to take a few moments and just respond to the Lord in our own way. Just sing to Him and, and posture our hearts before Him. The Lord is really putting the subject of Israel in front of us in a fresh way. And we want to respond as a people. And I love Patty's word, what she was sharing about we need to know how to be equipped to comfort Israel in her increasing time of trouble. So Father, we thank you for the justers. We thank you for Dan and Patty and and uh, Tikkun Ministries and Osher and all those that are giving themselves to the work within the land. We ask for your presence to come, your power to come. We ask for a, an increased knitting of our hearts as a spiritual family to stand for and believe for the purposes of God for your people, Israel, in these days, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Together in love 